Hello and welcome to Truer Love Stories, a podcast dedicated to real people wanting to create real love. I'm your host, Taryn Newton-Gill. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of people who are at a crossroads in their love life. I'll help our guests navigate their personal love story by providing them with holistic ways of writing a new, more empowered narrative around love, one that's truly aligned with who they are and what they want. Welcome back to the Truer Love Stories podcast. If you're new here, I'm so happy to have you joining me today. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back to tune in to this little venture of mine. I hope you've been learning some stuff by being here and maybe by relating to our guests who so generously share their hearts and lives as they let me openly coach them through some pretty vulnerable moments here on this podcast. So today's episode is a little different, however, because rather than us hearing a guest story, I'm actually going to be sharing a bit of my own story, specifically in relation to hookup culture and how it affected my experience as a single woman with an anxious attachment style. So I know some of you already know my story, but for those of you that don't know me and haven't heard my spiel, I was a single woman for most of my adult life and I got married this past year but was pretty much single since I broke up with my college boyfriend back in 2009 after living with him for a pretty tumultuous two years. And I'll just make a side note here that he was totally avoidant, but that's for another episode. Now, I didn't have a quote-unquote boyfriend in those years since I broke up with him, because none of them actually wanted to call me their girlfriend. I would have been happy to say they were my boyfriends, but that's not the way it went. And that's why I say I was single, because that doesn't mean I didn't have what I perceived to be deep and meaningful relationships. And again, I'll emphasize that I perceived them to be deep and meaningful, but none were ever fully reciprocated the way I wanted them to be. Some lasted for one and two years, with people who, for all intents and purposes, I seemed to be dating or I thought I was dating. I'd see them regularly. We'd talk on the phone. I'd be there for them in times of need. And of course, we were having sex. So, you know, there were a lot of other kind of smaller dating experiences in between, but there were some significant people who I felt I was in love with. But they never wanted to commit to me for whatever reason. None of them wanted to call me their girlfriend, but I still stuck around and I was showing up for them and giving and giving and giving all of myself, you know, bearing my soul, hoping that my loyalty and love and shining fun personality would eventually win them over. I had seen this work for some of my friends and family. Actually, they had started out dating people who claimed they didn't want a relationship at first. And after years of being together, they finally came around and eventually got married. So I thought that maybe my persistence was all it took. But in the meantime, in that trying to fit these relationships into what I wanted them to be, I was basically living in hell. I was a mess. 
these relationships were straight up torturing me. I mean, I was a bona fide masochist because I knew, I knew that deep down they were never going to come around. And yet I kept going back, waiting it out, making excuses for them, thinking something would change, thinking if I did something, it would change, all the while being in excruciating pain that these huge feelings of mine were not being reciprocated. Now, at the same time, my younger sister and my best friends were mostly all married or in long-term partnerships and couldn't really understand why I was staying with these people. They would tell me that I deserved more, a term that honestly just bounced right off of me like I was wearing some invisible shield that kept their words from penetrating and allowing me to believe them, you know? I heard the words they said, but I had no relatable, tangible context for understanding them. Like, cognitively, I understood what they meant, but in my body, I didn't understand what the feeling of deserving more felt like of feeling like I knew I was worthy. I had no context for that feeling. And yet I knew intuitively that my sticking it out for these people wasn't in my best interest. So why did I stay? You know, why did I stay with these people? That, my friends, is the real question that I asked myself time and time again, racking my brain, miserable, because in truth, I didn't really understand it myself. Looking back, though, I remember feeling like each time I connected with someone new, I think I didn't think someone else better would come along. I couldn't imagine me connecting with someone better or who would be more of what I thought I wanted. And we all know that what that really translates to is not feeling worthy of someone else better coming along. Subconsciously, my self-worth around men and romantic partnerships in general was extremely low. And that's because each time I had another quote-unquote failed or unrequited relationship, I took it as evidence that something was wrong with me and that I wasn't enough and that I was a failure at relationships, which really made no sense at all if I really thought about it because I had so many good, strong friendships and I knew I was awesome. I mean, like, I really knew that I was fucking cool and fun and loving and that anyone would be lucky to have me. But after years of these relationships where I felt constantly emotionally abused and gaslighted and one of my favorite misogynistic terms, crazy, I started to believe this myself. I started to actually believe that I wasn't capable or deserving of having a relationship. I maybe didn't consciously tell myself I wasn't deserving, but I didn't feel deserving in my body and in my soul. And of course, what was actually going on, unbeknownst to me, is that I was moving through the dating world with an anxious attachment style, having no idea of what that was or what that meant. And yet it was the driving force behind all of these relationships. That was the root of my low self-worth because as someone with an anxious attachment, I needed the reassurance that I was wanted and that my affections were being reciprocated. And because I was dating avoidant partners, I wasn't getting that. But us anxious attachments, we will hold on for dear fucking life, even when things are terrible, just to prove to ourselves that we are worthy of being loved. 
because that rejection is so painful and pokes so hard at our core wound of feeling unworthy that we desperately need to prove to ourselves that we are worthy and and search for validation in this other human being. We need to be validated by this other human being to feel at ease, even if there's no realistic world in which they would give that to us. We keep hanging on with the hopes that they'll say, I love you, or they'll say they want to be with us finally, and that it'll somehow validate the whole situation and, and validate us. So what does this have to do with hooking up? Simply that all of these relationships that I got stuck in started off with hooking up. That's where they all began time and time again. I would have a little chemistry with someone and develop a crush. And as soon as I got the inkling that they might be into me, I was in their bed or they were in mine. Maybe there was a little courting, maybe a date or two. So it felt like I was being taken out and treated well at first, like, like it was legitimate or something. But by date three, you better believe we were sleeping together. And I remember reading this somewhere that the third date was typically when sex happened and that it was a good benchmark to go by. Like if you can hold out till date three, great. So when I got all the way to the third date, I thought that I was doing well, that I was playing by the rules. And after all my one night stands in college that I got attached to, getting to three dates felt like I had achieved something, you know? I felt proud that I had kept it in my pants for three dates. And so one of two things would happen, though, if, you know, I let it happen until three dates, right? Even if I got to three dates, one of two things would happen. Either we'd sleep together on that third date and I'd never hear from them again, or they would kind of trail off like I'd kind of be trying to see them again, but they'd be vague, you know, and, and noncommittal. Or we'd start sleeping together regularly and suddenly that's all we were doing, right? Every time we saw each other, we'd sleep together. And I started thinking that meant we were heading towards a relationship, right? I start thinking we're falling in love. You know, I'm having all these feelings on my side of things. And I'm starting to think that this is a real thing. And so I want to pause here and say, first of all, that I know plenty of couples who sleep together on the first date and are still happily married to this day. And so I don't want by any means to shame anyone who, who does this, who has slept with someone on the first date, or suggest that it can't lead to lasting love, because it absolutely 100 bazillion percent can. But I had so many hangups around having sex. I had gotten it in my head that I was prude if I didn't hook up and slutty if I did. So when I say that I slept with them by the third date, I want to note that it was not without like blood, sweat, and tears deciding if I should or not. And I felt like I had to fight my most natural instincts to sleep with them a lot of the time. Like everything in me would want to sleep with these people, right? I was very much in an internal battle with myself sometimes about whether I should sleep with them or not. And I would even sometimes text them before going to their house saying like, just FYI, I'm not going to hook up with you tonight. And then, you know, I inevitably did all the time because I was attracted to them and I was putting myself in a situation where it was like inevitable that we were going to hook up. So, you know, then I would leave feeling totally shitty about myself and that cycle of telling myself that this is why I was single and I'm not letting them chase me and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm giving it up too early. You know, that just would get in my head and 
I don't wish this cycle on anyone. And I think if you consciously to choose to sleep with someone because you want to be intimate is totally healthy and okay. But for me, it wasn't. For me, even the third date was too soon. And here's why. Oxytocin is the main hormone in our attachment systems. Those hormones that make us want to touch and kiss and be close to someone, right? Oxytocin is the main one. And all genders and sexes produce oxytocin naturally, but cis women have higher levels of it than cis men. We produce it more when we orgasm than they do, and we produce a shit ton of it when we have babies and breastfeed. So naturally, I was already biologically dispositioned to attach, right? And then on top of that, I have an anxious attachment style. And anxiously attached people get attached a lot quicker than secure and avoidant people. I would say fearful avoidance or disorganized attachments probably fall somewhere in between where some of them may get attached early on and others don't. Most of the ones I know do get attached early on. They kind of follow the pattern of anxious people in that way. That would be my guess, though, that probably some of them might be more avoidant at first, depending on the situation. But, you know, when we live in a modern world that promotes free loving and getting physical really early on, which, mind you, is totally glorified and revered in the media and in social circles and through dating apps, sex kind of becomes this like laissez-faire thing where we just go with the flow of how we feel and base it on our chemistry and and our kind of very remote expectations and subconscious fantasies without any framework or grounding or sense of how it's really affecting us. And that opens us anxiously attached people up to even higher levels of anxiety because attachment styles are based on patterning. And we develop our type of style based on how emotionally consistent or inconsistent our caregivers or parents are. So if they were consistent, we develop trust and confidence in them and in ourselves. If they were regularly consistent, we received the message that we were worthy of their attention and love. And that made us trust ourselves and it made us trust them. And it gave us more confidence in ourselves and confidence that they would be there and that we could be vulnerable with them. But if we had one or two inconsistent caregivers or parents, this trust was not built in the same way. So this is how attachment is formed. It's how it works. It's based on these kinds of patterns. So when we are people who have deep wounds of feeling like we'll be abandoned or rejected, when someone's inconsistent, because we subconsciously now believe we're unworthy of that attention and love because we didn't necessarily get it early on, We need extra consistency to feel secure, right? Like, does that make sense, right? Like, like because it was denied us to a certain extent, we need more of it to feel better and to feel like we're safe in a relationship. We need to create trust to feel like it's safe to be ourselves and to know that that person is not going to reject us or abandon us. And so when we sleep with someone super early on, when we don't really know them yet or how they think or what they like or how they react to things, we are creating this perfect storm of getting intensely attached without any foundation of trust to hold us to make us feel secure. And so then when we've released all that oxytocin and we're legitimately attached because we've slept with them, 
we basically leap into anxiety because now we're longing to be close with someone, but we don't know them well enough to communicate it. And we get up all in our heads and start acting like we're not ourselves, you know, because we have all these different messages about, you know, being needy and about, you know, the chase and like all this fucking shit in our head about the rules and how we're supposed to be. But we're feeling this intense desire to be close and we don't know them well enough to trust if it's okay. And so we spiral. Hello, my friends. I'm interrupting this episode real quick to tell you about a new exclusive group I'm starting for women who essentially have everything except for love. Do you have a career, money, and great relationships with your friends and family, but still can't seem to figure out love for the life of you? Are you sick of using the dating apps only to meet people that ghost you and are just tired of wondering when and if you'll ever meet your person? If you're nodding yes as I ask you these questions, my new Facebook group, Manifesting Secure Love, is a space I made just for you. It's where we'll go in-depth with the challenges facing successful, independent women who still want love and give you the support you need to make that love a reality. You are a friggin' boss, and there is no reason you can't be just as successful in your romantic partnership as you are in everything else you do. If I can do it, you can do it. And women are better when we support each other. I'll be hosting a kickoff Facebook Live on the three top differences between success in career and success in love on Friday, August 26th at 1 p.m. Pacific time. And then I'll be hosting lives every week after that at the same time. So don't waste another minute of your precious time trying to figure out this love stuff on your own. Head over to my website at truerlove.com slash manifest and click the join group button. There is no charge for being a member, just a Facebook account and a willingness to learn and grow. All right, now that you know how to start manifesting, let's get back to today's episode. So this early hooking up is basically creating a situation in which we're very likely to get triggered. And when we get triggered, we crave reassurance that that person isn't going anywhere. And so we work super hard to make it work because we long to be validated by them, right? We've, we're already deep in this cycle. Now, this cycle, it's more intense for anxiously attached people, but it can absolutely happen to secure people too and fearful avoidant people. It doesn't normally happen to avoidant people for reasons that we'll get into on another episode. But I watched this really awesome documentary this past weekend called The Dating Project. And you unfortunately have to rent it on Amazon. Uh, but I will say that it was absolutely worth the $4.20 I spent, mainly because of this philosophy professor they focus on at Boston College named Carrie Cronin's. And this documentary follows the lives of five different people who are struggling to find a real relationship and or to find love. And some of them are college students who are in this professor's class. And she's fascinated by how prevalent hookup culture is on her campus. She talks about how students consider having a coffee with someone to be more intimate than having sex. And it's so true, right? Because with sex, it's in the dark. You may or may not see them again. You very possibly have had some alcohol. You don't have to verbally commit to anything or admit any feelings. But with coffee, if you ask someone out to coffee, you are, or on any date really, but coffee is the example she used in this documentary, you are openly acknowledging that you have feelings for them, right? That you're interested. 
and that makes you vulnerable. So students would rather just hook up and not court each other or date in the traditional sense, right? Like, and that's her issue is that they would rather do the super intimate thing and hook up than go to coffee with each other and go on a date. And so she creates an assignment where she makes her students ask someone else out on a date. And it has to be someone that they actually like and that they've been looking at, but she has them ask someone out on a date. And in explaining, she has different rules for this date and how it should go and and what should happen. And she talks about three distinct levels of dating that she breaks this up into. And she says, level one is the intro date. So that's the coffee date, right? It's a first or second date where you get to know the person a bit and start to decide if you like them and if you want to see them again. Then there's level two, which is what I would call courtship, right? Where you start to see each other more frequently and it becomes clear that you're into each other. And that's something she takes note of in level two. She says in this stage, you know that the person is into you. It's not confusing. It's clear that they are into you and they like you and they want to see you. And she says in this stage is where you can, quote unquote, swap spit. (laughs) So that's what she says happens in level two. You can swap spit. Then in level three is when she says it's becoming an actual relationship, which she describes as there being emotions involved. When you start to feel like you can rely on and lean on the other person and, you know, you might have emotional conversations And this part is what I find so interesting. She says that the biggest problem that she sees in hookup culture is that people want to jump from level one right into level three and that they skip level two in the process. They start having serious emotional conversations really, really early on. And I think this is such an important observation. And to me, what she's really saying is that because people are hooking up at stage one, when they're just getting to know each other, they skip that trust building part in level two. That, of course, us anxious attachments really, really need and that everyone really needs. And then they feel overly attached and treat the relationship like it's in level three because they've just been intimate but they haven't built the bridge of level two to take them from the getting to know you stage to the intimate stage. But because they've already slept together, they feel like they should be at that stage already. You know, think about it. When we're sleeping with someone and are in their most intimate space, right? Like we are in their space. It makes us feel like we know them and that we're close to them. And we are in a physical way at the very least, we're close to them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are close to them on an intellectual level or on a soul level, right? And again, here the media and movies would have you believe that because all of this bullshit about falling in love and love at first sight and all those damn fucking Hollywood meet cutes, you know, like they, they add to that expectation that it happens right away, you know? And don't get me wrong, like I grew up on romantic comedies and... I never met a Julia Roberts movie that I didn't like, but they absolutely perpetuate this false idea that you meet someone and sparks instantly fly. And when we have some chemistry and then sleep with someone, it leads us to believe that that's what's going on, that those sparks are flying and love has come to sweep us away and carry us to a distant land where everybody shits gold. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I know I can get a little vulgar sometimes, but I made my point, right? 
and look, I believe in truly magical love. I really do. I believe I have truly magical love, but I don't think that instant connection, that instant spark is necessarily what it looks like. Because in the real world, especially for anxiously attached folks who are caught in this kind of thinking, this just increases our levels of hope and expectations and desire for the relationship to be true love, right? It just, it's like another layer on top of it. We're already anxiously attached. We're already hormonally attached. But then on top of it are these cultural fantasies that we add on top of it and we get really in our head. And that is what helps dictate our expectations that now that there's this connection, it's going to lead to something meaningful, right? So, okay, getting back to me and my story, this is exactly what was going on with me. There were so many layers of misguided beliefs and limiting beliefs and anxiety clouding my head and my heart. And it's interesting because my husband is the only person that I ever dated that I waited to sleep with. And I didn't even do it on purpose. I wasn't like trying to hold out on purpose, but he and I dated for about six weeks and we'd met on Tinder and we had several good dates where we talked easily. And when we saw movies, I noticed that we laugh in the same places. And there was just an ease between us. It didn't feel hard. I didn't feel like I had to try to find conversation or think of what to say. It was just, I was just with someone who felt like a friend, you know? But then because he was a secure human being and I wasn't feeling my usual anxiety with him, I didn't think he was, you know, the one even though I was thoroughly enjoying his company and he had treated me like a fucking queen. I mean, the last night that we saw each other before I ended things with him, after those initial six weeks, he had made me dinner and he made me shrimp and stuffed mushrooms and he doesn't drink, but he had got me a mini little bottle of Pinot Grigio to go with my shrimp. And I mean, like he's a dream, right? Like, like, this is how I could have only wished past guys would have wined and dined me and, and treated me, you know? And we had, this was also, I think this was like our fifth date, and it was the first time we were in each other's houses. So he had taken me out all those times previously. And I could feel that he wanted to have sex with me that night. And something in me just was not ready. And it freaked me the fuck out. I wanted to have sex with him, but I think I was also afraid of the intimacy of where it would lead because it felt big, you know? And so I froze up and I went home and kind of abruptly and it was really awkward and uncomfortable. And two days later, I called him and I ended things. And I should have known then because I just did not want to get off the phone. I just kind of wanted to linger on the phone as I was ending things with him. And he was like, okay, well, this is getting awkward, so I'm going to go. And, and like, it made me sad inside, you know? And then, you know, after that, I, I couldn't stop thinking about him. He was on my mind for seven months, seven months straight. He was on my mind and I was afraid to go back to him. And I was afraid to reach out again because I was terrified that I'd freak out again. And I didn't want to hurt him because he was awesome. And you know, we had texted briefly on and off in between those seven months, but we hadn't seen each other again. But finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I was like stalking his Instagram every day. And I just finally texted him and took the chance and was like, you know, I don't know if you're seeing anyone or if you even want to see me. But if you do, I'd love to have you over for dinner and basically just 
you know, pick up where we left off. And he texted me back and he said, honestly, I'm surprised to hear from you, but pleasantly so. I'm pleasantly surprised to hear from you. And that was so reassuring to me. That sentence was exactly what I needed to hear at that moment in time. And so he came over that night and I actually wore a really cute little skimpy black dress because I told myself that we should sleep together that night, right? Because I knew that's what he had wanted last time we saw each other and I wanted to give it to him. And I wanted to have sex, but I also just like, I wanted to let him know that I wanted that, you know? But this amazing thing happened instead where he came over and we ended up talking about what happened between us. And it was so sweet and so healing that it was clear that sex was not the thing that needed to happen that night. And so instead, we ended up curling up on my couch and we watched the show The Bodyguard. And I put my head on his shoulders. We watched and we kissed a bit and held hands. And then we kissed when we said goodnight. And that was it. And I waved goodbye to him in my skimpy little black dress, you know, from my door. And then we saw each other again, I think three days later, we walked to a restaurant near his house for dinner, a little Italian place. And we went back to his place and just talked about everything and nothing until like 1am. And I read him a poem I had just written and we laid on his couch and like he was laying you know, on his back on the couch and I laid on top of him and just like laid on his chest and like put my head on his chest and we just cuddled. And it was so satisfying and so wonderful. And I was supposed to go to Germany that week. I was going to Berlin and Paris and Amsterdam for two weeks to visit my friend that lived there. And I didn't plan on seeing him again until I was back. And I didn't even know if I was going to talk to him while I was there. But that Friday night, before I was supposed to leave, I started feeling this anxiety, which I hadn't felt with him at all up until this point, but I started feeling anxiety, like I wanted to see him again. But I was afraid to ask because we'd already seen each other twice that week. And I was starting to get nervous. It was going to be too much. Like it was just, you know, you know, it happens when you start realizing you like someone and you start feeling that anxiety. But I realized I just needed to see him again before I went. So, and I was going to just be brave. And so I texted him and I asked and I said, do you want to come over Friday? And I I did say like, I don't know if this will be too much or whatever, but do you want to hang out? And he said, I really do. I just didn't want to bug you while you were packing. So I hadn't asked. And again, that reassured me, right? Like I was nervous. And then him saying that reassured me, he really wanted to see me again. And so he came over that night And that was the night we slept together. And it was awesome. And I went out to Germany feeling very happy. And, you know, that next morning, and we ended up texting and even had some phone calls on WhatsApp while I was in Europe. And that's when I really feel like I fell in love with him. And I got back from Europe and we saw each other like two days later and have been attached to the hip ever since. So we had like, I want to say seven or eight dates spread out over, spread out over like eight months before we slept together. And honestly, I think my deeper intuition knew that night at his house that I needed to wait with him, that I really needed to have that trust built before I dove in this time. So again, this isn't to say not to have sex early on. In fact, when I was in Europe, I went to the Kit Kat Club and met someone who I ended up hooking up with on my trip, who my husband knew about, and that's a whole other conversation for another podcast episode. But I knew I didn't want anything from that person. 
I knew that it was just sex and it helped me from getting attached because there was no chance of it being a thing for us because he lived on the other side of the world and because I was in love with someone back home, you know, who I had even told him about. So I just want to be really clear that having sex early is not bad or wrong and it doesn't make you a slut and it's not why you can't find a relationship. These are all extremely limiting beliefs that I used to tell myself. And so I want to nip those lies in the bud for you right now if you're someone who's telling yourself any of these things. That said, I do think there's something to be said about the fact that I was able to fall in love with someone who had become my friend. Someone who I knew and I had been through a little bit with to build up that trust with them and then be able to actually enjoy the falling in love more because when I felt nervous or that anxiety came up, which it inevitably will, I could share it with him because I knew he'd reassure me and be there and I didn't have to feel afraid of the vulnerability that I would feel with that. You know, it wouldn't, it didn't feel so vulnerable and I knew it at that time. So if there's any takeaway that I would like to leave you with after this very colorful romantic comedy of errors, it's that if you're concerned about getting attached early on, and if you find yourself being in that pattern a lot and in the situation where you have sparks with someone, you have chemistry, you start hooking up, and then you have no idea where the fuck it's going and you get really in your head about it, my biggest suggestion to you to slow down. You know, I didn't mean to slow down, but looking back, I'm really fucking glad I did. I'm really glad that I didn't deny myself the experience of truly falling in love and feeling that because there was no anxiety when it finally happened. And again, when I had a little bit of anxiety, I was already safe with this person that I could share it and knew he would reassure me. So it quieted that you know? And so I really want to urge you that if you are feeling stuck in this pattern to slow down and go back to level one and just see if you like the person first and it doesn't make you prude. And, and if you do want to have sex early on, choose someone who you don't see a future with. I mean, that I think is the best chance. And if you end up having a future, that's great. And I'm glad it worked out, but I just want to caution you that slowing down and getting to know someone is really the most helpful thing that you can do for yourself to allow yourself that time to build that trust and remind yourself you're worthy of being waited for. And even if you do and you were like me and you just really want to have sex early on, I get that too. But I promise you that when it's the right person for you, they will be worth the wait. Thank you for listening to the Truer Love Stories podcast. If you got a lot out of our episode today, I want to invite you to have your own clarity call with me, where we'll spend the time talking just like my guest and I did, getting you clear on what's blocking you from having the relationship you really want. All you have to do to book this free call is hop over to my website at truerlove.com and click on the love guidance tab, and you'll see the option to book your clarity call right there at the top. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much if you could rate and review it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And follow me on Instagram at underscore truerlove underscore to stay up to date with tons of love and attachment information, resources, and offerings. You can also take my free attachment quiz that you can find both on my website and my Instagram page. All right, I think that's all for now. So until next time, stay true to yourself and talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.